Let's pray. God, we just want to say thank you because we know you. And because we know you, we have a living hope. We are living because we know you. And we have a hope that the world does not have, that the world cannot know because we know you. God, whatever the circumstances of our life right now, whatever peak or valley we are in, hope is not lost because you are eternally reigning on the throne and you have promised that one day you will make all things new. And so I pray, God, now as we turn to your word, that you would quiet our hearts before you, that you would meet with us in a unique and special way. God, the weight of expounding upon the living word that is the Bible uh, oftentimes is overwhelming to me, God. And so I pray in this moment that it would just simply be you speaking through me. I pray that you would be seen, that for all intents and purposes, I might even disappear. And I pray, God, that this would be an encounter with the living God, the living hope. Thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. Thank you that you have given us your word, that we might know you and know ourselves because we know you. And I pray that the truth and beauty of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> Christ would be proclaimed clearly and boldly tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. My, um, my first job, my first big boy job was a sales job. And uh, I had a territory that I covered, and it was the Midwest, which was home to me, which is God's country. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This is God's country. Well, you know, except for the, except for the earthquakes and the fires and the drought, which are, I think, I think all signs of the apocalypse. Besides that stuff, the weather's great and housing is so reasonable. So... Um, I covered the Midwest, uh, but at that company that I worked for, uh, they had a really large sales team and they had someone that covered every, uh, every state and every country in the world. Not one person, sorry, that came, that did, there was not one person who covered all of that. Many salespeople who covered all of those areas. And when I worked there, uh, there was a decent camaraderie amongst uh, the salespeople. And so we would spend a lot of time going out to lunch together and uh, doing stuff like that. So one day I was at lunch in the, my first year, my first big boy job. And the guy there at that company who covered the southeastern portion of our country uh, had just gotten back from a trip to go visit some customers. And he was like, he, there were several of us at lunch. He was like, you got to hear what I did this week. And we're all, anytime a story starts with, you got to hear, that's generally a good sign that something good is coming. He's like, you got to hear what I did this week. And he was like, uh, I was down visiting some, some customers and one of them invited me to go with him on a pig hunt. Now, this is maybe not known to us here in God's country, but in other places of this country, particularly the southeastern part of the country, there are enormous feral pig problems. Like there are actually college teams named after them. If you are familiar with the Arkansas Razorbacks, a Razorback, this, is, this was news to me. It's a feral pig. It's a wild pig. 
And in the southeastern portion of our country, there are enormous populations of feral pigs, and they are extremely destructive to both crops and to livestock. And so actually a lot of states in the southeast classify them as vermin, and there is no like hunting season for them. It's open season all the time, and they encourage as much hunting of them as possible because these feral pigs are so destructive. And so I'm like, again, a kid from the Midwest, and I'm like, what is this world? And, and what did you do on this pig hunt? And so he goes and starts to describe what it was like. And so he said, uh, we met at 11.30 p.m. in a field outside of, a, outside of the woods, and there were about half a dozen guys and about 12 or 15 dogs that were trained to hunt feral pigs. Now. I know we're in California. I know this is the land of like, we catch and release mosquitoes here in California. I, 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 have, <laughs> I have a child, I will not single them out in this moment, but every time we find a spider in the house, they say, please don't kill it, dad, please catch it and take it outside. I know that's the land we live in, but it's not like this every place. And so, so it's, the, it's like middle of the night, they got, they got 12 or 15 hunting dogs and half a dozen guys, and they just let those dogs loose into the woods, and they start, they start sniffing out pigs. And he said, when they sniff or, or see a pig, like all chaos breaks loose. And you got, you got uh, 15 dogs barking. You got 10 guys running through the woods behind them with flashlights trying to keep up, and some poor little vermin squealing, you know, running around through the woods trying to get away. And he said what was actually, and this is what I found, and again, I know we're in California, I'm, I'm, tam I'm, I'm tamping this down significantly. He said what was most disturbing actually <laughs> was when the dogs caught the pig. They couldn't, they were so trained to hunt, they couldn't get them to let go. Like he said they would have to, he said at one point, one pig, the, 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 guy, the dog's owner had to start hitting the dog on the nose to get it to release its jaws, and it wouldn't, and eventually it had to pry the jaws open to get the pig out of its mouth. Are you sufficiently disturbed? <laughs> I can only imagine the emails I'm gonna get uh, this week with this story that I've opened this sermon with. But here's the deal. I want you to be disturbed. Because that's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> I want you to feel a little bit uncomfortable because that's a, and again, like I said, I, I did not go into the amount of detail that I received when I was hearing that story for all of your sake and for the sake of our, you know, collective joy together as a body tonight. Um, but I want you to feel a little bit disturbed because there is something in life that is chasing us just like those dogs chasing those feral pigs. There is something chasing us ruthlessly and relentlessly through the woods in the middle of the night. And if and when it catches us, it will sink its teeth into us and you cannot get it to let go. For all of you right now who are like, I think the pastor just compared me to a pig. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> Some of you might think that you know what I'm talking about in this moment. Some of you might be thinking about a passage like Genesis 4, I think it's 4-7, right before Cain kills his brother Abel. God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door and his desire is for you. Some of us might be thinking about 1 Peter 5-8 where Peter says, your adversary, the devil, is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy so some of us might be thinking right now, Pastor Gary is talking about sin 
is sin is chasing me down and is relentlessly and ruthlessly trying to catch me. And when it catches me, it won't let me go. But here's the deal. I'm not talking about sin. And, and rather than me tell you what I'm talking about, I want to let the apostle Paul tell you what I'm talking about. And just, I want I want you to hear the words that he wrote in uh, Romans chapter eight, verses 35 to 39. This is what he says. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And can I just say amen? There is something that is ruthlessly and relentlessly chasing you down. It will not stop. And when it catches you, and when it sinks its teeth into you, it will not let you go. It is way more powerful, way more dangerous than sin, and that is the love of God. And that is awesome news, because we as human beings are hardwired to desire and long for love. We long to be loved. We look for it everywhere. We look for love in relationships, obviously. That would be an obvious place to look for it. We look for love in success. If I, will, if I can just be successful enough, people will love me. We look for love in money. Money can't love us, but we can buy a lot of nice things. It'll make us feel like we're loved. And maybe if I have enough money, people will, will love me for my money. We look for love in our work. We think if we perform well at work, people will love us. We, we look for love, love in our hobbies. We look for love in our social clubs. We look for love in our video games and in our social media. We look for love everywhere because we are hardwired to desire to be loved. Love to a human is like sunlight to a flower. Without it, we will wither and die. But with it, we can flourish. And the maybe it could be argued the central message of God's word to us, the Bible, is this. It is that God loves us. And that is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the love of God. So we are in, we are in the last Sunday of a three-week series that we are doing here at the end of our time here at our summer retreat center, Bridges Community Church. Before we head out again for one more major transition for our church, we're doing a series that we call, we're calling Guaranteed. We're looking at just a handful of the attributes of God that are unchanging. All of them are unchanging, but we just have decided to lean into three of them. And they are, they are aspects of God's character that we can find hope and encouragement in regardless of the season of life we're in. So it's kind of like we're talking about this for the life of our church as we're in a little bit of a transition season, but this is true in your personal life as well. When things feel like they are unsettled, when things feel like they are all over the board, when the future seems uncertain, when things seem crummy in the, in the, the season that you're in right now, there are some things about God's character that we can just lean into that are unchanging, that are guaranteed. So two weeks ago, we talked about the providence of God 
Talked about how God is in control of everything and he can even use the evil in your life for your good and for his glory. Last week, we talked about the faithfulness of God, that God is a God who does what he promises. His word and his actions are the same. And the last thing we're gonna talk about tonight, and again, maybe it's the most important, I don't think you can say that one attribute of God is more important than others, but certainly it's like the heartbeat of everything we're doing here as a church. We're gonna talk about the love of God. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to root it in those verses that I just read from Romans chapter eight, some verses that have been uh, extremely encouraging and uplifting and hope filled for people for literally centuries. This is actually uh, the first sermon I've ever preached out of Romans. Part of that is because that's just the way the cookie has crumbled. But part of that is because I am super intimidated by the book of Romans. And uh, it is a, it's a missionary letter from Paul to a group of Christians in Rome. Yep. Uh, But it is also an amazingly deep and wide theological treatise on who God is and what he has done for us. And before we dive into this text, as I try and do any time we open God's word together, we got to have a little bit of an idea of the context for this passage before we can actually fully understand what God might be trying to say to us through it. So the book of Romans, like I said, it's a missionary letter to, from Paul. He was hoping to go to Rome. Uh, he, he was hoping to go visit the church. He got to Rome eventually, not in the way that he envisioned. He got there as a prisoner, uh, but he was writing to them to let them know about his ministry and his hope to come. And for, through the first uh, three or four chapters of Romans, Paul spends a lot of time talking about sin. He convicts the Gentiles of their sin And then he turns around and he convicts the Jews of their sin. He spends a long time talking about sin. And then he spends a few chapters talking about what God has done for us in response to that sin. And he spends a little bit of time talking about Jesus. And that brings us more or less, I'm I'm going, you know, I'm skimming over a lot, to chapter eight, which is the middle of the book of Romans. And we get to the chapter eight in the book of Romans and Paul, as he often does in his letters, it's like he almost forgets a little bit the theological argument he was trying to make. And just simply the beauty and the majesty of what he is talking about kind of overwhelms him. And he breaks out in almost poetic worship in the way that he is writing. And that is what we get. We just picked up part of it in Romans chapter eight. He's talking about, look, you are all, we're all dead in sin. Remember Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says, but God, but Jesus, but we have righteousness because of what Jesus has done. And then he gets to Romans chapter eight and he's going on and on and on. And we get to verse 35 and he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I was going to say, what's he saying? But it's pretty obvious. Can anything separate us from God's love? It's guaranteed. God's love is guaranteed. You can take it to the bank And that is probably the most transformative thing we could ever know. So just two things I want us to draw out of this text as we uh, hang out together tonight for the next few moments. And the first one is this. Even before I say it, you're going to be like, really, Gary? God loves you. First thing I want us to see in this text is that God loves you. 
As I was working on this message, I was like, is that too simple of a point to make? Like, is that going to be too much of a, people are going to be like, yeah, we know that, you know, teach us the Bible, Gary. Then I was like, well, actually I am teaching the Bible when I say that. It is the heartbeat. It is, it is the heartbeat of what this whole book is about. God loves you. And I was thinking, like, when was the last time I said that in a sermon? And I don't, you know, I can hardly remember what I preached last week. So don't, you know, don't take my word for it. But I should say it every week. Like that should actually, that could actually be point number one in every sermon that I ever preach from here on out. Because it is, again, the most important thing you could ever know. God loves you. And part of the preacher's job is to teach the Bible for sure. But part of the preacher's job is to help us remember. Part of preaching is to help us remember. And so I just want to help us remember tonight that God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. And here's how I want to help us remember. Let's take a little tour of scripture. Look at these verses with me. Psalm 36, 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Ephesians 3.17-19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. If you are a person, you are loved by God. If you are a living, breathing human, if you have a mother and a father, I was going to say, if you're, if you're a tree, maybe not, but actually God loves his creation, so he loves trees too. If you are a human, you have God's love. No ifs, ands, or buts. It is not... If you're a good person, you have God's love. It is not if you did well in school. It is not if you have a good job. It is not if you have a good family that looks good from the outside and you got a couple nice cars and a nice house, you have God's love. If you are a person, you are loved by God. No qualifications. I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock some of you. God does not love me more because I am a pastor. I think he should, <laughs> but he doesn't because I'm just as broken and messed up as sin and sinful as anybody. God's love is for everyone. There were no qualifications in those verses that I just gave you. If you are a person, you are loved by God. And that is just phenomenal news. And we love it. And we love it in church. And we love verses like John three sixteen: for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only son. We love, we, we preach about God's love and we Facebook about God's love and we Instagram our vacation and somehow we talked about God's love in that. 
and we talk about how God loves us and, and God's love for the world. And, and w- like we get it, but I think we struggle with it as, as Christians to actually live it out. God loves everyone, all of us. So what that, what that means is that God not only loves you and not only loves me, but he loves people who don't look like you and people who don't look like me. He loves people who don't vote like you and don't vote like me. He loves people who don't talk like you and don't talk like me. God's love is for everyone. God loves liberals and God loves conservatives and he loves Republicans and he loves Democrats and he loves independents. God loves Muslims. God loves Buddhists. God loves atheists. God loves agnostics. God loves convicts. God loves ex-convicts. God loves future convicts. God loves workaholics. God loves alcoholics. God loves uh, abusers. God loves child abusers. God loves homosexuals. God loves transgender people. God loves uh, criminals. God loves liars. God loves cheaters. God loves people who steal. God's love is for everyone. And as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you. And I think sometimes we forget that because there are a lot of people outside the walls of this building who would say, I went to church once and God's love is not what I felt there. Or I work with someone who claims to be a Christian and I don't feel God's love from them. And I just, I know it's a simple point, but it bears repeating over and over and over again. God loves you and he loves everybody else. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it's really easy when we've been in church for a while to start to think that we got, a, we, we got some kind of in on God's love because we know the memory verses and we know the songs to sing. And at least outwardly, we aren't as sinful as some other people, but we need to remember that God does not love us because of what we do. He loves us because of who we are. That is a human being, children made in his image. And that is true for every person on the face of this planet. God loves you. Guaranteed. And I hope there might be someone here tonight, or there might be someone watching online now or later who is like, that's not the message I've gotten in previous experiences in church. And I just want you to know that you got the wrong message because you are loved by your creator more than you could possibly fathom. As, As Tim Keller says, the heart of the gospel is this. We are more sinful than we dare to believe. And we are more loved than we could possibly imagine. God loves you. All right, that's the first point. Second point is this. Nothing can stop God's love for you. Nothing can stop God's love for you. Uh, This is the message of Romans chapter eight and the verses that we just read. God's love is a relentless love and there is nothing you can do to get away from it. There is nothing you can do to stop it. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. 
Persecution, no. Famine, no. Nakedness, no. Danger, no. Sword, no. No. Verse 37, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That phrase, more than conquerors, is kind of a funny phrase. Uh, It could also uh, be translated as, we have complete victory. We prevail completely. We are winning a most glorious victory. Why? Because of our good works and because of how much we're showing God, how much we deserve his love? No, because we have the love of Christ regardless. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am sure, and I just want to hang out there for one second at that phrase, for I am sure. That that verb in Greek is in the perfect tense. And what the perfect tense means in Greek is something that happened in the past, but its effects are still being felt into the present. So Paul is saying, I became convinced and I have continued to be convinced. I became sure and I am still sure that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is very powerful coming from the Apostle Paul, right? Because for those of us who know even anything about the Apostle Paul's life, all of these things he's mentioning in verses 35 to 39 of Romans, they are not hypotheticals. He, he went through some amazing suffering. He, like we think our lives are hard and some of us, our lives are hard. My life is not hard, but I can complain about it all day long. My life is a cakewalk compared to the Apostle Paul's. He was beaten within an inch of his life multiple times. He was rejected by everyone he loved. He lost everything for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And yet he was still able to say, I am sure that through all of this stuff, I have not lost God's love. And in fact, if he were here right now, my guess is the Apostle Paul would say, actually, my suffering was proof that God loved me. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's love is that hunting dog running through the woods in the middle of the night, searching us out. And when it gets a hold of us, it will not let us go. We have a kid's Bible that we have read to all of our kids uh, called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a fantastic, uh, fantastic children's Bible. Uh, It's written by a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones. And she does an amazing job uh, in every story that she tells of showing how it points to Jesus and how it reminds us of God's love. And there's this refrain that she says over and over again in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I know I'm quoting from a kid's book, like, A lot of pastors quote from like theologians and stuff like that. Pastor Gary quotes from children's Bibles, but uh, here it is. She says, you see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. God's love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Now, as we have talked about with several of the attributes of God that we have looked at over the last few weeks, the challenge with all of these, whether it's God's providence or God's faithfulness or God's love, is it doesn't always feel like that's the case in our lives. It doesn't always feel like man, I have all of God's love, God, the creator of the world, creator of the earth, all powerful, all sovereign, all knowing, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Not every day do I feel like, man, I am just the recipient of all of his love into my life. 
Just me? Okay, just me. <laughs> so, so here's the last thing I just want to point out in this text. For those of us who are like, man, there's just a lot of seasons of life where it's like, I don't feel like, I don't feel God's love. First of all, um, feelings can betray us, right? If we're going on our feelings, you know, there was a girl in 12th grade that I felt was going to be really into me. And apparently she felt she was into somebody else. Feelings can betray us, right? Paul says in verse 37, he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know something funny about that? Isn't that interesting how he's talking about how nothing can separate us from God's love, present tense. But then he says right there, we're more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. Again, in the, in the Greek, that's in the aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T, aorist. And an, an aorist verb in Greek denotes something that has happened in the past and was completed in the past. It's done. Something that happened and it's over. So what might Paul be saying when he says we are more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. He's talking about something that has happened in the past. He's talking about a specific act of love. And most scholars would agree, and I think a lot of us are going to agree, that there was a single act of love that happened in the past, that was done once, now and forever, and that was Jesus Christ's death on the cross. So when we start to feel like we don't have God's love, here's what we can do. We can look at the cross. Because even though we don't feel like it, that one act proves to us that we have his love. So, so no matter where you, when, when you start to doubt that you have God's love, what do you do? You look at the cross. When you start to think I've done something that has separated me from God's love, what do you do? You look to the cross. When you start to think that someone has done something to me that has separated me from God's love, what do you do? You look to the cross, no matter what the season, no, no, matter, no matter what the peak, no matter what the valley, no matter what's going on at work, what's going on at home, what's going on in your family, no matter what we are walking through, even when we don't feel like God loves us, we have proof positive that he does. Because he sent his son 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross in our place. And as John says in 1 John, greater love has no man than this someone lay down his life for his friends. This is how we know, actually, I don't know where that is. This is first John. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We have been loved by God. And so we know that we are still loved by him, even when it doesn't feel like it. I want to invite the, the worship team to come up as we are getting ready to uh, come into home. There was a, uh, a poet who lived in England in the 19th century. His name was Francis Thompson. He came from a pretty well-to-do family. His father was a doctor, sent him to boarding school, sent him to a high-end boarding school. And uh, he fell in love with writing and with poetry. At his father's encouragement, when he finished uh, his primary education, he went to medical school. Went to medical school at 18 and spent eight years studying medicine. At the age of 26, Francis Thompson decided he didn't want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a writer. And so he quit medical school eight years in and moved out of his house to write. And uh, it sounds like writing was about as, um, as high paying then as it is now. And uh, he spent the next three years living on the streets. He was homeless. He became addicted to opium. He suffered through severe bouts of depression. 
And one day, two editors of a magazine were introduced to some of his writing, and they invited him into their home. They helped him get cleaned up, and he spent the next few years of his life writing. The most famous poem that he ever wrote, which is still beloved to this day, is called The Hound of Heaven. It's a poem about how God relentlessly and ruthlessly chases us, no matter what we do or where we go. It is written in Old English, so it's a little bit challenging uh, to understand some of the stuff that he's saying, but I just want to read you the beginning and the end of that poem from Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. These are the first few lines of the poem. It says, I fled him. Down the nights and down the days, I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And then at the end of the poem, God appears. And this is God speaking to the poet. This is, these are the last lines of Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. This is God speaking. Alack, thou knowest not how little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee, I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies as lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand and come. Halts by me that footfall. Is my gloom after all, shade of his hand, outstretched caressingly. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from me, who dravest me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's guaranteed. Take it to the bank. You cannot get away from the love of God. Let's pray. God, how do we even begin in 30 or whatever minutes this has been to encapsulate all that is meant by the fact that you love us? We have just barely scratched the surface. And God, time does not permit that we apply to every heart here what your unfailing love for them means. And so I pray in these moments, God, as we reflect on your word, and as we worship you anew, I pray, God, that you would speak to hearts and minds, that you would show them how and why you love them and what it means. God, we are nothing without your love. It is, it is, our, it is our life breath. And God, I pray that we would walk out of here fully confident that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to conclude now with a hymn of a song of response.
this is a time to uh, continue to worship God. It's a time to do any business with God. You might sense his spirit calling you to do. If you're here tonight and you don't know what it means to have the love of God in your life, I would love to talk to you. One of our elders or ministry leaders would love to talk to you after the service. Uh, or you can reach out to us at info at ALCF.net or prayer at ALCF.net. Uh, we would love to connect with you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's continue our worship and I'll be back up to send us home. Yeah. <laughs>
wait to be with you all next week at uh, the Jewish Community Center at 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved.